Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. Hello, everyone. We'll start with our quote of the day. This is by Nietzsche. He said, Invisible threads make the strongest ties. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirschton. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you move forward. On the show, I interview a wide variety of artists um, so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today, I'm not interviewing someone else, but it, um, today's podcast is going to feature my thoughts on how you can become a professional artist, if that's what your desire is, and the ancient Greek story, the silk worm weaver, will be shared at the end. Um, but before I get on to all that stuff, announcements. So let's see, since our last podcast, so much has happened and there has been a delay in my getting back to the podcast um, because of the holidays. I had a bunch of um, commissions come in where people were wanting paintings done as gifts for people and that was really fun and exciting and I'd never had quite so many in the holiday season and I was very thankful to have all that work. Um, It certainly made me push my podcasting fun stuff aside. So here we are finally back in the groove. But uh, let's see what happened after that. I've been doing a 30 paintings in 30 days January challenge that I do every year. That's taken up a lot of time. And today, as I'm recording this, this is the 25th of January. I'm officially done. So I'm finished ahead of schedule. Um, What else? I've been working on a, a book commission where I was illustrating a bunch of uh, pieces for uh, an immigration story about someone, the author's ancestors who came from Ireland. So I was looking at all these Irish um, photographs and and her ancestors' images, um, photos from her family. And it was just really, really fun to put that together. Um, And so this summer, hopefully, we will be releasing that book. And so stay tuned, more of that to come. Um, I've also been just tying up lots of loose ends. Like I have a, a kite story. It's a children's book that I wrote and illustrated a couple years ago, finally fine tuning that and getting it done. I've, um, also got a, a painting 101 book that I worked on all last year. The loose ends are finally being tied up for that. So hopefully that book will be ready for you guys in the near future. With all this going on, um, and I've got a big trip (laughs) in a couple of weeks. So um, just to keep you guys informed, what's probably going to happen is I'll probably have another month break here from the podcast, and then we'll really be back in the groove where we'll be interviewing a wide variety of people and um, exciting things ahead. Now, without further ado, let's get to my thoughts on how to become a professional artist. 
So the first thing I think of when, when I hear the term professional, a professional is someone who is savvy, who is with it, who is not just flouncing around and, and um, doing whatever, but they're focused and they're business-like and they do what they say they're going to do. <laughs> And they deliver things on time. Um, So just right off the bat, I want to start off with if your goal is to be a professional, maybe it's just to get a little bit more serious about your artwork. And a few episodes ago, I did a, a podcast where I talked about should you become a professional do you want to become a professional? So we addressed that question um, because I certainly think that for a lot of people, it's it's actually better to just accept that they want to be amateurs and they want to just have this be, um, have their artwork be a hobby. So know where you're at and where you're going. What What are your goals? That's the first step to becoming professional. The second one I would say is to really think seriously about who your audience is, who will want to purchase your items. So for example, if you are a person who paints lighthouses and that is your favorite thing in the world and you go all around finding lighthouses, depicting them. Well, maybe your best audience would be folks who live along the coast, folks who go um, vacationing on the coast and who love to be at the beach. And if so, you know, then you can start thinking about, okay, where are those people? What magazines do they read? What websites do they go to? And then you can start targeting your market. Um, But it's a big question and I think sometimes people can get disappointed if they aren't looking at that realistically and really big picture strategizing who will want my work. Um, so for example, several times I've seen where po- folks had really um, political work and you know maybe it was even graphic or disturbing and then they're disappointed when they have a show and then you know, the average Joe down the street doesn't want that painting over their mantle in their fireplace and they don't purchase it because it's a disturbing image. Well, maybe that your work, if that's your type of work, would be best suited for museums where folks could look at it and it could be cause for discussion, but you just want to be real realistic about who wants it why and where are they going to be? <laughs> so um, what I'd like to do is I'm going to break this down into ideas for you if you've never done this before. And I'm going to address three different professions, three different artistic professions to get your get your mind thinking outside the box. You know, oftentimes if you're an artist of any form, you just think, oh, okay, I want to start selling. I'm going to try to find a gallery. Well, that's great, and we're going to talk about that, but there's so many other places and things that you can 
places you can sell your work and things you can do to get out there that um, I'm going to go through three different professions that are quite different and um, talk about some of the places and things I've seen that I thought worked really well. I'm going to um, go over what musicians can do, what sculptors can do, and what painters can do. And even if you are a painter, let's say, like me, you know, listen to what the musicians have as their options because you it might give you a new idea and you might find the perfect place to get busy with your business. So, um, <laughs> sorry, that thing came out a little silly, didn't it? All right, so let's go through this. Um, first off, musicians. Now, when you, when I think of a a professional musician, the first thing that comes to mind is like a rock and roll band, you know, they tour the country, they're rarely home, and, um, you know, maybe they sell CDs as they're going along on tour. That's one option, of course, but most of my friends who I have who are professional musicians do more localized things, things that they can do on a regular basis. For example, um, I have several friends who play music at weddings. They play music at churches on Sunday morning, you know, as the background for the choir when they're singing. They play music at parties like my my husband's work every um, holiday season they have a holiday party they always have a different professional musician sometimes it's a guitar player you're playing classical guitar um, harpist that sort of thing so think about how you could not just go big but go small and go regular and get clientele. Um, If I was the sort of musician who could perform at weddings, you know, I could contact wedding planners, I could contact churches, I could find those people who would want me for that event because that's the sort of, of live art performance that really makes an event special. Um... Another thing I've seen that I thought was really interesting and just just different, dif- different idea for musicians was um, when I went to Colonial Williamsburg a few years ago. Colonial Williamsburg is a historical living history museum, and they had musicians who were playing, you know, the fife as they're walking down the street. Um, they had, a, there was a church where you could, we walked in and saw a lovely performance of several different musicians, one of whom played the bells. And so that's an option for you. You know, it, in our town here, we have um, a living history museum called Connor Prairie. You know, maybe a place like that would be a good spot for um, historically minded musicians to play and get paid to do the job. Um, and one last thing there are online sales. Um, if you are a musician, you can have your music recorded, sell it directly online to people, um, not just through CDs. And from my understanding, from what I'm hearing from people, is you know you used to have to go with a big production company, and that is just no longer the case. 
So with the web being what it is, it's really opened up a lot of opportunities. And, and I'll talk more about what I've done with that and, and what my painting friends have done in a few minutes. On to sculpture. The, the thing I see with uh, sculptural artists, like ceramic artists, um, glass artists, most often is that they are doing um, dishes and cups and mugs and selling them at art fairs and that sort of thing. And that is great. It's really um, very, very popular. And I certainly, in, in my own kitchen, I've got a nice set of mugs I drink coffee from every morning that was from a professional artist where years ago we had done a trade where I gave him a painting and he gave me, I was like 10, 15 mugs. Um, and that was, gosh, almost 15 years ago. So some of them have sadly broken by now. But, but um, at any rate, you know, that is kind of the standard go-to, pretty easy. But also, if you're doing that sort of ceramic work, you might want to think about other items that people would use in their home that are useful and maybe would make good gifts. So for example, I have a an olive oil dispenser. So I put my olive oil in there and then when I drip it out, it's got a little drip thing that's made of metal and the ceramic artist made the, the base of it. When I use it, I can just dribble a teeny bit of olive oil on my bread or whatever it is that I'm I'm cooking. And it's really useful and wonderful and beautiful, beautiful piece. I have a drip, a, a spoon drip pan. Um, I mean, that's not the word. A spoon drip dish that is, uh, you know, it's, it's like a circular dish, but it's got um, a little indentation on one side so that I can put a spoon in it if I'm cooking and so I have that right by the stove and it's just a wonderful piece that I bought years ago and it's definitely something that I needed and again you know that would be a good gift item in my own bathroom I have a piece that's it's it's very small and it's two people whose faces are close together. It looks like they're about to kiss and it's a sculpture that I can hang on my wall. And I absolutely love it. There's another thing, I've had one friend who, he has made award plaques uh, or trophies, <laughs> award trophies. And he, he's like a, a glass artist. These are really distinctive and different, and the folks who will purchase those big awards for um, events like the Olympics and and um, things like that, they will spend you know quite a bit of money to get a really good quality art piece to be the award and that they are giving out. So another funky idea for you. Um, I've also seen. Uh, really successful friends who were stained glass artists. So they're doing pieces that are going to end up in churches and they're going to end up in, you know, the homes of the wealthiest people in our community. And that's, you know, one sculptural visual thing that it can be very lucrative because it's, it's so specialized and it's so it's something that people are willing to invest in. 
Another is one more for sculpturist. <laughs> is that a word, sculpturist? Um, <laughs> there are handmade tiles for mosaics. A few years ago, I took, um, I, I went with a friend of mine to make some clay pieces, and she had a, a form where I could make the stamped tile square shape, and then I could carve into it. And so I did that, and I made a few pieces. But um, imagine the possibilities if you were doing handmade tiles that people can use as the backsplash of their kitchen, so on and so forth. So I also just want to add in that if you are someone who likes sculptural type stuff and maybe you like metals and you like clay, years ago I read an article where they had polled artists of different varieties and by far the type of artist that earns more money than any other are jewelry artists. This article that I read, and it, it was like 20 years ago, but it showed, you know, oh, average of most artists across the board who were professionals and who were, uh, you know, paying their taxes, and we could look at this. <laughs> it was like, oh, $20,000, $30,000 a year, maybe, right? And then jewelry artists, on average, it showed that they were making $80,000 a year, which it was just like more than double everybody else on average. So I just want to throw that out there that if you are a the sort of person who likes to create jewelry and you're not sure whether you could go big or small and, and maybe jewelry is for you, it is, according to this article I read, the most lucrative of the artistic professions. And I have seen this firsthand in many, many <laughs> cases where I was, you know, at an art fair or at a co-op gallery where I used to work. I mean, the jewelry artists just always outsold everybody else. So if you, that is of interest to you, which sadly it is not for me. I tried it years ago and it's just not for me, but if it is for you and you're trying to find the right artistic profession for you, that might be a good choice. Okay, on to painting. This one I can talk about forever because I am a painter and so I've seen a lot and I've done a lot and I can certainly speak to my experience. Um, let's see, so we think of, okay, how do you make money as a painter? The first thing that comes to mind is, of course, very traditional paintings like landscapes, portraits. Um, I've had several friends who specialized in pet portraits and there's certainly a market for that. And I think the more you specialize, the easier it is to market those traditional type paintings. Another one is to work as an illustrator for, let's say, children's books or how-to books or magazines. There's a lot of magazines that will use illustrators that are painters. And another one are murals. Mural work is is it a big deal, <laughs> and it it's also one specialization that it's my understanding you really can get a lot of money from doing a piece um, because it's big because 
you know, organizations will will pay to have something very special on their wall. It's I see a lot of grants out there that are for creating murals more than I do for traditional oil on canvas small paintings. So if you're a painter, certainly something to think about. Now I'm going to go into places to sell. The first off is what we always think of as what professional artists do. Selling artwork in a gallery space. Now, what do you need to do to make that happen? Well, you'd need to form a relationship with a gallery. You get set up with them and they say that they would like your work. So there's usually a you make contact with them, you decide on if you're just going to have one show, like a one-time thing, or if it's going to be ongoing, they're always going to have a couple of your pieces there. And when you bring the work there, they're going to have it on consignment. It means that they're not going to just purchase the painting from, from you for 500 bucks and then they resell it at a higher amount, but rather you're bringing the work to them, and if it sells then they will pay you a percentage of from the sale. And usually at a gallery, that's like either 40 or 50% of the sale. There are lots of other places that will sell on consignment that ask for much smaller commission, if any at all. So for example, I've had a lot of really great luck selling work in coffee shops and restaurants. And to be quite honest... I've sold 10 times more in those places than I have in traditional galleries. So I'm certainly like going to root for that. Most of those places will say, you can have your show up. And if something sells, we're not going to ask for any commission at all because you have given us the honor of putting these things on the wall. And then when something sells, you know, we've got a little sign up that says, if you want to buy this, you contact Addy directly. So somebody emails me and says, hey, I saw the artwork that's up at the, um, this such and such restaurant. And then we arrange a time to meet and I make the sale directly to them. There are some coffee shops and places that will say, oh, we'll sell it right off the wall and we'll take 10% commission, maybe 20% commission. And that's fine too. Um, the number one thing you want to think about when you get into who's who's actually selling it is 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 the gallery or, or play, the storefront selling it for me um, or am I selling it? And the the difference is is that when you go to make your taxes, when you go to pay your taxes and report your taxes, if the the storefront has sold it for you, they've taken in their sales tax and they are going to pay the IRS the sales tax. Um, and in our state of Indiana, for example, that's 7% of the sale that they took in and now they're going to pay the um the state of Indiana back for that. Um, if I make the sale, because I arrange to meet the veteran and sell it directly to them, then I have to take in the sales tax and I pay that at the end of the year. Um, so it's, it's very important if you are the one who's taking in the money that you keep good track of those things and that you report them at the end of the year. And I highly recommend getting 
an accountant to help you. And really a good accountant, it's you might you might think, oh no, I don't want to pay an accountant. It'd be so expensive. My accountant is is absolutely wonderful. She does a stellar job. I know I can rest easy that everything's been done right. And it's only what do I pay her for hundred or five hundred dollars um, every spring to put it all together? It's not that much money for my peace of mind. So I certainly recommend that you do that. Make sure everything is done right. Um, at any rate, let's go back to the topic of galleries. Another type of gallery is a co-op gallery. Um, a few years ago, I was a member of a co-op gallery in Zionsville, Indiana, and I really liked it. Um, what a co-op gallery is, is it's owned by a group of artists. And in that case, it was like 20 different artists. We're all part of this co-op. We all paid a monthly fee to be there, and we all came in at least once a month to sit at the desk and open up the store and make the sales and be the cashier. And also, in that case, once, uh, I can't remember if it was every other month, we would get together for a meeting and we would switch the gallery around and move the paintings and move everything around so that not only is the space fresh, but it was fair and that, you know, if you're in the way back corner, you're not stuck there for years and years. You, we, we would rotate where everything was. I highly recommend it. It was really fun and it, it was a great learning experience. I do want to make a clear distinction though and, and just kind of warn people that there's a difference between a co-op gallery and what we call a vanity gallery. So a vanity gallery is a gallery that asks for a monthly fee, but they it's not run by artists necessarily, and it's um, they are making all their money off of the fees from the artists. They are making very little money from actual sales. So I've gotten emails from vanity galleries saying, hey, come join our gallery. And I, you know, I look into it and then I find out that it's, you know, some gallery that's in downtown New York City and they are asking that I pay $1,000 a month to be there. Red flag, that's a vanity gallery. They aren't, um, they are making their money from the artist's not from sales and don't get fooled in, into that trap because you know a, a year later you might not have sold anything but you've given them twelve hundred dollars <laughs> so you just have to be be careful um but a good co-op gallery in my experience was really worthwhile it was great to be part of a community. I got to know a lot of artists who live and work in the area, and it was definitely a good thing. Okay, so uh, other places that you can sell work are art fairs. Now, art fairs, so this year I've started to do, well, I should say 2016, I started to do art fairs, and this was a new experience for me. Let me tell you a little bit about it. I found that there's kind of a wide variety, at least in my my state of Indiana as far as how much it costs to be there and 
The most important thing I notice right away when I'm looking at an art fair and deciding if I want to apply to be in one is whether it's an indoor art fair or an outdoor art fair. And the reason is because an indoor art fair, you know, say one that happens in a you know, convention center in the middle of winter, you don't have to have a tent. You don't, you have to have displays in order to show your work, but um, it just is a big difference in what you need to bring with you. I've also seen that there's a, a wide range of fees that it costs to be in an art fair. You know, some places it's only $25 to be in the little fair and others it's 300 And I, th- I'm th- seeing from my experience that it is, mm, you, you get what you pay for. So for example, I did the Penrod Art Fair, which is at our Indianapolis um, Museum of Art. And it, it was well attended. Many, many people came. It was one of the more pricey, well, it was the priciest one that I gave a try this past year. And it was worth it. I, I made, you know, way more than my money back for that big fee. But I'll also say it was an outdoor fair, and so we had rain, and um, my tent at one point, even though it was sandbagged down, uh, lifted up in the middle of the night and then crashed back down, so some of the items in my tent overnight got toppled over, and that was a big mess. So right now, I'm kind of in debate, you know, how many more art fairs do I want to do? Is it worth all the trouble to go and set up and your artwork might be damaged if it's really bad weather. Is it worth the time and the effort? And it certainly is a lot to haul all your pieces out and get them to an art fair. And I think that if you make the investment of a tent, as I did, <laughs> it's it's worth at least doing it a certain number of times, you know, and giving it a try and trying different ones until you find the art fairs that are going to work best for you that have the clientele for your work. Okay, so there's also the option of commissioning work, of having commissions. And what that means is that somebody will order from you a piece and you will make it special just for them and give it to them. And a lot of people, when they do commission work, they specialize. So for example, um, as I shared earlier, this past holiday season, I did pieces that were for gifts for people. So one was for um, a couple who had gone on a trip to Italy and they had taken some wonderful pictures and they wanted a piece that would um, be a momentum from that trip. And so we selected the picture that they wanted to be the inspiration for the painting and I created it for them. We, I had it framed and they even made a little plaque to put on it. So it helps, I think, to know what it is, what type of work you're going to get out there and what type of work you're going to have available. And so, for example, if you, if you really 
don't feel comfortable doing humans, you know, portraits, because it is one of the most difficult things to do, then you want to make sure when you have a commission page on your website that you you say, oh, I don't do humans. <laughs> um, I recently put on my website that, yes, I do commissions. Here is the fee to do them. And I will say that I do charge more for a commission than I do for a regular piece of the same size because a regular piece, you know, I can do whatever I want. I feel I can whip it out pretty fast. I can, you know, go with my gut as I'm doing it. But if with a commission, I really have to pay attention to, is it going to be what the client wants? And, and meeting with them, getting feedback from them as I'm going through the process. So for example, one of my commissions this past December was for a family that wanted a floral arrangement, very large piece to match their living room. So I created the piece and then, and I sent her the image saying, does this look good? And she wrote back, she said, oh, I think it's too pink. You know, can we tone down the reddish tones and make it more neutralized? And I said, sure. So I went back and I added those things in. But this is why commissions usually cost more because you just, there's a lot of back and forth. And sometimes, um, this is only happened to me once years ago, the person comes back with, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> and, and you do have to think about, okay, what are you going to do if they say that they don't like it? And what I did in that case, but that person who decided they didn't want it, I said, um, okay, we'll just not charge you. Maybe what I should have done, because that was a very large piece, was say, give me a deposit fee that's non-refundable. If you don't want it, you know, at least I got paid for some of my time and the materials, um, especially if it's something where, like if you were doing portraits and you're not going to be able to resell it to anybody else, you do want to be paid for at least some of your time and the materials, even if the client decides in the end, yeah, I don't like it. That's rare. But it's something to think about. How are you going to uh, arrange it so that you're going to get paid for sure and, the, and yet also the client will be satisfied and happy for sure because we definitely want that. Another thing you can do is sell work online. Um, I can't reiterate enough how the internet has completely changed the art world. I mean, you, I mean, now that you can get things online, it's just a, a booming industry. And for anybody out there who says, oh, I can't afford artwork. Oh my goodness. Yes, you can. You can get some wonderful artwork for, you know, a couple hundred bucks. You know, the cost of going out to eat just a few times, you can get artwork and you can buy it online. I will say, I think even with the internet and and the the possibilities of purchasing things online now people are a little more likely to purchase a, a big ticket item like a painting if they can see it in person because you know the colors rich they can see the texture it, you know when i have a showing i will sell a lot more than if i i post some work on my etsy site or on my website and have those items available. So for years, I sold work on Etsy, and I recently made the decision to stop going with Etsy, and I'm kind of pulling back from them, and I now have artwork 
available on my website where people can buy it directly from me on my website. I enjoyed working with Etsy and there's lots of different online places where you can sell. Um, now, it, I mean, they've Facebook's even made it where you can sell on Facebook. You can sell on Amazon. You can sell on eBay. You can sell on the Daily Painting website. And of course, there's Etsy and there's many others as well. I originally went with Etsy a number of years ago because... I think they were a very trusted name. A lot of people recognize the name. And they. I did decide, okay, I want to just have things on my own site, though, because I'm trying to consolidate. And also, many of the sites, like Etsy, are now making it so that eh, people can only see your items for sale if you pay extra. So... Uh, if I go on um, the Etsy site and I post a piece, it costs 20 cents to post it. Not a big deal. And then um, I can pay extra to have it be that when somebody wants to hunt in the little search box for commission paintings, um, mine might be one of the first ones that's going to pop up because I've paid extra. But if I don't pay the extra, then my posting will be, you know, six pages down. <laughs> so um, you just have to think about it, all the little fees that can be involved. And if you go with a site, how likely is it that it's going to drive new clientele to you or not? Um, and if your clientele is, is all coming because you brought them there, then maybe it's not really a benefit to being on one of these specialized sites. So that's just where I'm at right now and what my thinking is. I think it's a great first step for becoming a professional. If you say, okay, I'm going to create some sort of a site where people can purchase my items online. Look at the options and give it a try. You, you might even um, you know, create an Etsy site, but not make a, a separate website for yourself and just have the one. I think the the tighter it is, the more consolidated you are, the easier it is to send people straight to where they can purchase things from you. And then we have happy customers and happy artists. So one of the issues that many artists are talking about on uh, other podcasts, on social media right now is the tension between the old-fashioned galleries and online sales because some galleries apparently don't want artists to sell online because they feel that it's taking them out of the picture, it's competing with what they're doing. I've thought about this a lot and my own my thoughts are where I'm at right now is this. <laughs> I'll say this. It's all changing so fast because of the internet. Apparently, a lot of artists who were with traditional galleries before the economy tanked, you know, they had lots of sales through the galleries, but then the economy tanked and those galleries closed their doors. Well, when those galleries closed their doors, they lost all their clientele because who was in contact with their clients? Who had the names of their clients and the email lists of their clients? It was those galleries. So it it cut them off from their own fans when those galleries closed. So you want to think about how 
how you're in contact with your patrons and how easy is it for you to send them a thank you note? How is it really beneficial to go with a gallery? What if that gallery closes? What's the what's going to happen after that? These are the things you want to think about. My feeling with the online sales versus gallery sales is as long as your prices are consistent, I personally don't see it as a competition. So for example, if you go to my website and you see, oh, you can buy this small size painting for X number of dollars, and maybe there's different paintings that are in a gallery somewhere, and it's the same size, it's the same price, but they're different paintings. They have different things that are available in different places. I think that's consistent and I think that that's fair. One problem I've seen some friends have is that they'll have work in galleries that want exclusives and you know maybe they'll have some paintings up for a year in the gallery and it didn't sell. So then they, that artist takes them home and then you know really what should probably happen is they have a you know low price sale. You know, maybe you know putting them online and saying this is a sale item. It's sat around for a couple of years. We want to put it. We want to get move it, <laughs> get it out of the door. But the gallery, of course, wouldn't like that. So they have to keep everything high priced, even when it's one that's like, you know, oh, this is a painting that sat around and he's kind of been overlooked. You know, any other type of store would say, oh, let's put this on sale. And galleries just don't, I just have never seen that done. And so talking to one friend a couple years ago, she was really, you know, just frustrated because she had a lot of extra items. We want to move those items. And um, so my caution to anybody would be, if you do form a relationship with a gallery where they're wanting exclusives and they don't want online sales, what's going to happen to those items that maybe get overlooked and don't sell after a certain period of time because you don't want to end up having just tons and tons of extra paintings. <laughs> you want to move it. And you want to see them all go to happy homes. And I predict that in the next 50 years, online sales will be the ma- the vast majority of sales for artists will be online. Let's phrase it that way. The vast majority of sales will be online in the future because it's it's the way things are going. I think that that's realistic and I think that there's so much adjustment that all industries have to make with it. We've really got to pay attention to what's really working, what do the clients want, what are, how can we best serve everybody and be fair. Okay, so turn this page here. Look at my notes. Final thoughts on being a professional. Here's what I would suggest to somebody who has reached that point where they have a nice collection of work. They want to start selling and they're not sure what step to take first. It can be a little overwhelming and there's certainly many books out there. You know, go to your library and get books on um, starting a business. Those starting a business books can be good. Or um, uh, one and I can particularly recommend is um, I'd Rather Be in the Studio. Uh, that's a great one for starting your art business and getting advice on that. 
I would say to you that you want to get established with some sort of online presence. Maybe that's a blog. Maybe that's an Etsy site. Maybe it's just a Facebook fan page. And you want to have an email that's professional sounding. You know, you wouldn't want beachbum at gmail.com to be your email. If, if you're doing something very professional, maybe your email should even reflect what your profession is. So I would say decide what online platform might be best for you and open up one of those sites get it started, and then have business cards made so that you can be, you know, when people talk to you and and they ask who you are and what you do. One thing I've done is I have business cards made and they're made through Vistaprint, but they have large images of my paintings on them. So they're oversized uh, postcards is what they actually are, but I hand them out like they're business cards because pe- some people will ask me, what do you do? I say, oh, I'm an artist. And then they say, oh, well, what kind of stuff do you do? And then I can show them and then they can take it home and they can uh, follow me on various social media or whatever from seeing my website. Another thing to think about is being professional. When you do get asked, you know, what do you do? Think about your elevator speech ahead of time. How can you concisely say what you do quickly to somebody that's informative, but maybe gives them a, a little teaser that will interest them? You want to have that ready. How best to present yourself to anybody that you're meeting in a way where they might become a fan. It's through getting to know people and making those contacts that you'll really be able to capture people's interests. So on that note, I'm going to share our folktale of the day. This is the Silkworm Weaver. It was written originally by Aesop. It's spelled A-E-S-O-P, who lived and wrote around 600 BC in ancient Greece. Once upon a time, there was a silkworm who was commissioned by the princess of the land to weave a silk tapestry. The tapestry would be displayed in the grand hall of the palace. The silkworm worked tirelessly at the job over many days and nights until one evening her friend, the spider, came to visit her. The spider paced back and forth, admiring the silkworm's fabric Finally, she jumped up to the corner of the room. I can make a finer weave than you, Mrs. Silkworm, she declared. The spider quickly wove a delicate web in the corner of the room. Done, said the spider. I worked faster than you as well. The silkworm looked up at the web. "Mm, You did a fine job, and you did work quickly, Sister Spider, but your weave is made only to be a trap for insects, and it will only last a few days. My tapestry will be admired for many years to come. So, my thoughts on this story. It's, you know, it's tempting to work quickly to get things done as fast as possible. Um, Yet when we do this, we're cheating ourselves out of the satisfaction of a job well done. And I think it's worth it to take your time to do it right, to make a piece that's 
of lasting beauty, to make something that's professional, that's something you can be proud of. That's certainly my goal. Um, and we get there through hard work and dedication. So ask yourself, what is it that will make you proud of your artwork? Doing what would make you proud of your artwork? Is it that you want to be professional, that you want to share it and sell it? Is it that um, you have a real big meaningful thing that you want to say with your work? You have a masterpiece in mind and you need to work up your skills so you can get there. What is going to make you proud? What's your ultimate goal here? I certainly hope that all of you find that goal. And I hope this made things clear. I hope that it's helpful for you. Um, being a professional is is challenging and it's fun. I love the small business of it. And if you want to dip that your toe in that water, I certainly urge you to do that. And let me just tack on that I've loved answering some of these questions that have rolled in. I'd love to hear more. So please feel free to write to me. My Silkworm Weaver story and many others are available in my book, The Alchemy of Art Stories for the Classroom. This concludes our Alchemy of Art podcast for today. May these stories about the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.